This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. And I know this personally as I use Squarespace for my website and find it so easy to use with plenty of great templates to choose from to make it look super engaging and professional, even for a technophobe like me. And if you need any more encouragement, here are some of the amazing things Squarespace offer. You can start a completely personalised website with the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint AI. You can also sell your products and services with an online store. From hand-knitted decorations to digital content or services, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. Squarespace supports entrepreneurship by helping you to easily manage your clients and invoices in one streamlined workflow. Head to squarespace.com forward slash fail 10. That's fail 1010 for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code fail 10 to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hello and welcome to How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, the podcast that celebrates the things that haven't gone right. This is a podcast about learning from our mistakes and understanding that why we fail ultimately makes us stronger. Because learning how to fail in life actually means learning how to succeed better. I'm your host, author and journalist Elizabeth Day, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what they've learned from failure. My guest today is one of the most familiar faces on our TV screens, a man who at the relatively tender age of 34 is already routinely described as a national treasure. He rose to fame on the talent show The X Factor in 2012. Despite coming fifth, he went on to have one of the most successful showbiz careers, not as a singer, but as a presenter. He's fronted several TV shows, including Strictly Come Dancing, It Takes Two, This Morning and Ready, Steady, Cook. He has his own Radio 2 show every Saturday and will be one of the station's main hosts for the Eurovision Song Contest this year held in Liverpool. It's a long way from the East London Council house he grew up in, raised by a single mother, Linda, with whom he now sometimes appears on Celebrity Gogglebox. He's also written two Sunday Times best-selling memoirs, the latest of which, 10, movingly recounted a decade of professional achievement but personal breakdown after the end of his marriage in 2021. His openness and authenticity have charmed the British public to the extent that he is now one of those rare celebrities known by a single name. That name is, of course, Rylan. But he has never forgotten where he came from. His Instagram biography states simply, started off as the joke, still laughing. Rylan Clark, welcome to How to Fail. I mean, that was like an obituary. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I was at my own funeral, but what a lovely speech. You did, when you arrived, said you felt like you were dead because you'd just been so exhausted. I have literally been so exhausted, but I mean, when, when I know this opportunity came up, I was like, I'm so grateful. And if you need someone for a eulogy at your funeral, uh, hey, I'd be you're more than willing. I'm tired. <laughs> like, that's you. going in the contract, straight <laughs> in the will. People think that they know you, that openness and that mm. authenticity, which comes across so beautifully on screen. Do they really know you? I think so. I think people do know me, but 
probably don't know all of me. I think they know a part of me, and that's Rylan. Mm -hmm. That's the part that everyone knows. And I've always been very upfront about who I am, and I've never been frightened to hide who I am. However, sort of when it comes down to sort of the personal side of me, I like to retain a bit of something. Like when I'm sat here talking to you, there's cameras, there's lights, mm -hmm. there's a little switch in me that sort of sits up a bit more, the voice goes slightly higher, whereas at home I sit back a bit more, the voice is a little bit lower. So yeah, I think there's, there's definitely two sides, but I think the public have got a good idea. Because we know you as Rylan, but mm. that isn't your birth name. Your birth no. name is Ross. Ross, yeah. And is it right that you picked out the name Rylan from a baby name book? Yeah, pretty much by accident. I was modelling back when I was about 16, 17. And the agency that I was with was like, Ross is a boring name, we're going to call you Keelan. I went, all right, no worries. And I did this job, which was like a, I can't even remember, it's for this concierge company in Canary Wharf. And I got paid something silly, like 100 quid. Or it really wasn't a lot of money even back then to me. And they paid me by cheque. And it was a printed cheque to Mr. K. Clark. And I was so embarrassed that everyone had been calling me Keelan all day. I didn't want to say that's not my name and I need another cheque. So I never cashed the cheque. And at the same time, I was working at River Island at the time. I went over into WH Smith on my lunch break, opened this baby name book to R, because I thought it's going to have to be an R, because same initial. And I saw Rylan. And I went, oh, that sounds like Keelan. Shut the book, went back to work. It was that simple. Did you change the check? Because you could change no, the K into an R quite I easily. I couldn't, because it was printed. Okay, oh, fine. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, like, if it was handwritten, that would have been an easy yes. do. Yes, yeah. Because it was printed. Remember when, like, they used to print old checks? It was literally like that. And I just thought... Was it always part of your plan to be famous? Yeah, I think it was. I didn't know what for. Like, I, I've been very upfront with the fact that I grew up in a sort of era where being famous was, to me, growing up in and around Essex, the two ways you get a Range Rover is reality TV or drug dealer. And I thought, I'd rather take that route. So, yeah. Are you, are you serious, though? Is I that, think so, yeah. yeah. Like, there was, it was that thing. I, you know, I never, ever thought I'd own my own business or anything like that. As much as I went to a very academic school, I didn't feel academic. Mm. And I was always into arts and media and things like that. And sort of the goal for me was to sort of get a platform. Mm. And for me, I always thought that was singing. And then I did get a platform through singing. And then, like you said, got... A career elsewhere and how do you feel about fame now because now. yeah you're so immediately recognizable yeah. that i imagine that can be quite difficult if you just want a quiet day without people yeah. coming up to you a hundred percent you know i'm six foot four i've got the biggest teeth in the country a beard like you can't miss me it's really strange sort of my relationship that i've got with fame now like i remember growing up that question everyone used to ask would you rather be rich or would you rather be rich and famous? And back then it was instantly rich and famous. Are you stupid? We can't let like everyone know who you are, get invited to all these places. Sort of 11 years in, <laughs> I'm grateful for everything I've got. But if I had a button, I tell you what, if I had a forget button, there's an episode of Doctor Who where there's these buttons where you can either protest or forget. And you hit the forget button, you forget what's happened. If I could have a button, I love my job. And every time I come off of TV doing my job, I could hit the forget button where everyone had no idea who I was and I could go down the supermarket, do this, and then go back on TV and everyone remembers again. That button would be broken by now, hmm. the amount of times I've hit it. Why is that? Why would you want people to forget who you were? 
I don't know. I think I didn't make the most of not being known, to be honest. Yeah. When I look back, I'm so grateful. And I'm not, I don't want anyone listening to this thinking, oh my God, he thinks he's like Madonna, like an A-list. By any means, no. But using Madonna as an example, if you're walking down Oxford Street in London and Madonna's on one side of the road and I'm on the other, you're more likely going to come up to me and ask for a photo because you think you know me and it, Ryland won't mind. And that's sort of the public perception of me is, oh, he's a nice guy, Ryland won't mind. And do you know what? I am a nice guy and I don't mind because I remember the first six months of my career was a public vote, X Factor, Celebrity Big Brother. Without that, I wouldn't be here now. So when any time anyone does stop me, which is quite often, I'll always stop. I'll give everyone the time. And I've also been around people that don't. And it makes me feel physically sick because you, for that one person, going up to someone they've seen on TV or who's a singer or something like that and asking for a photo and that person saying no to that singer or whoever, that happens every second. Yeah. It's that one person, that might be the only time they ever get to meet you and that meant something to them. And I've seen it happen and I just promised myself really early on, never be that person. So is being Rylan a coping strategy for Absolutely. those sort of interactions? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Like I can sit there and go, this is a Rylan thing. And yeah, I think it's just the way I deal with the madness of it all. You know, I could go walk around a supermarket and feel very normal and feel, yeah, absolutely fine. Like I've got a cap on, people still recognise me, but I get away with it. Then later on that day, I could be at an event or at a job where I have to walk out into a crowd of thousands of people and they're all screaming and cheering. For me, I need that switch in my brain yeah. to go, this is Rylan. And then the second I'm at home in a tracksuit looking like a goblin, <laughs> that's Ross. I'm so interested by you, just generally. Why? Full stop. <laughs> no question, just a statement. And that was that good one. <laughs> Because I think that many people who would know you from your X Factor audition, which we'll get onto, mm. and your later career would assume that you're an extrovert. Yeah. But I have a suspicion that you're an introvert. Ryland's an extrovert. Yes. Ross is Ross. actually a very introvert. Yeah, 100%. So for argument's sake, this is an extrovert thing. But my brother's a cab driver, has been for years. And he's now my full-time driver for work. So I bought a new London black cab and I had it all tinted up. So I can use all the bus lanes. Such a drag. Yeah, oh, that's great. genius. You See, and like, Philip. Not just a not half pretty face, like <laughs> when it's all dressed up. But yeah, so that, that's what I've, I've done. And the cab broke down the other day and went through like a bit of water. So we've got another cab, like a temporary cab. Same cab, but the windows ain't tinted. Mm -hmm. And it's literally just driving through London without a tinted window every single time you stop at like, oh, it's Ryland. Oh, mate. Oh, mate. And it's as, as lovely as it is, I'm like, I, I feel like I've got a crooked neck from sitting in this car because I keep my hand over my face by the window. And it's crazy. I remember when I got my first sort of big paycheck and I bought myself my first car. And like I said, I, at the beginning of this chat, I always wanted a Range Rover. Like it's superficial, but it's something I always wanted. And I, I had it made, got the car, and instead of it saying Range Rover, the badge said Range Ryland because that's your Ryland thing to do. And within two weeks, the bibs, the this, people sat behind you, read Range Ryland and go, oh my God, it's Ryland, man. And I had to get a D-badge straight away because I just realised it was just too much, like drawing attention to myself and stuff like that. And I, just, I actually hate the attention, which is weird because it was the one thing I craved back then. 
Well, I wonder if what you craved and crave still is connection, which yeah. is different from attention. Definitely. And actually, looking back, I think there was an attention that I craved that, I mean, we could go deep, but I, I don't Please think... Do. I, don't, I don't. I wouldn't sit there and say I was lacking anything, like in my childhood or anything like that, but I wanted more. I was one of those people, I always wanted more. And as stupid as this sounds... My mindset growing up was, I don't need this piece of paper to tell me I can be X, Y, Z. I'm not going to be a surgeon. I'm not going to be a lawyer. That's not what I want to do. But if I want to be an Olympic gymnast at whatever age I am, if I train 12 hours a day, every single day for the next 10 years, I'll be an Olympic gymnast if I want to do that. And I always feel like you've got the capability to do whatever you want. But what I wanted was to be this person this sort of almost character that people all know, people recognise, people hopefully like, and entertain people, however that was, and just be in that sphere, I suppose. That's what I always wanted. And I didn't, I knew what would come with it until you experience what comes with it. As lovely as it always is nine times out of 10, you then start to miss the not being known part of it, I think. Yeah. And that's not an ungrateful thing to say because I love my job and I'm, I've got so much from my job. But I do miss that, oh, should we go for lunch? All right, yeah, let's pop in here. Mm-hmm. Just popping in somewhere, without a doubt, people are going to come up to you, which is lovely. I'll tell you when it really hit me. My mum was very, very ill in hospital. She's got Crohn's disease. And a couple of years back, she was very, very ill to the point where it was like, we don't know if this is going to be it. And got a phone call really late at night. It was about one o'clock in the morning. I think you need to get up here. So I drove up there, I got in the lift of the hospital and you can see, with the greatest respect, no one's in a hospital lift at one in the morning for great reasons, are they? And I looked horrendous, dishevelled, been, been crying, upset. And the lift stopped on the floor and a lady got in, lovely woman, she went, oh, it's you. Oh my God, please, can you do a video for my grandkids? And I'm literally going up to a ward where I don't know if my mum's still alive, to be honest, because I've not heard anything in the last half hour on the way. And just part of me wanted to go, fuck off, leave me alone. Like, are you stupid? I'm in a fucking hospital at one o'clock in the morning and you can tell I'm crying. Like, but it's just an automatic thing of, yeah, yeah, no worries. And I find myself in a lift doing a video for someone's grandkids. And it's almost like built into me now. It's like a numb, then I just felt numb and I got out of that lift and was like, who am I? Mm. What am I doing? But actually I'm glad I'm like that and not shouting at someone in a lift at one o'clock in the morning. But it costs energy every time you have to flip that switch, doesn't it? Yeah, and sometimes it's due and you expect it. Sometimes it's unexpected, but that's what I think people forget. At a time like that, this woman, probably don't realise I'm in a hospital at one o'clock in the morning. This man looks very upset. He's agitated. That doesn't go through the mind. It's, it's Rylan, mm. the character from telly. Yeah. You know, it's like meeting a telly tubby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Poe. <laughs> much taller and thinner. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I'll say that. Yeah, but he, we're talking a lot about identity and mm. I speak to you as someone who also went through a divorce. Yeah. And that... You get it. <laughs> yeah, I do get it. And yeah. that can really knock your sense of identity. And oh, it also- killed me. Yeah. Yeah, my divorce pretty much well, nearly did kill me. Yeah, it was really, really difficult. Looking back on that now, it's so awful to sit there and say this, but I'm almost glad it nearly killed me. 
And I'm so thrilled I can say that two years on because I didn't think I'd be here two years on. And I won't go into too much detail, but it was extremely traumatic. Mm -hmm. And not even me just being dramatic. Like it was very much trauma. There was a lot of elements that came into play with the breakdown of my relationship and then how that played out for the months after, which is why I got so ill. And like you said, I'm six foot four. I went down to like nine stone, which is grossly underweight for someone of my height. And now to be able to sit here and go, the fact that I got to the lowest of lows, when someone says rock bottom, I never really understood what rock bottom was. And I don't think anyone will until you've been there. And when you know you've been rock bottom, like to the point of no return nearly, that's when you sit there and go, now I can say, I will never let anything or anyone get me to where I was yeah. in that state not even myself. I would never let that happen to myself again. And actually, because of that trauma and because of that tread down on me, I think it's genuinely, for want of a better term, made me so much stronger. Because now I will sit here and things that wind me up, things that upset me, things don't work out with this one, don't work out with that one, I'm sitting there going, you're all right. You've got your health. You've got a little bit of money in the bank, you're cool. I'd like to sit here and think that the breakdown of my marriage has made me the person I am now. And I'm really, really happy with the person I am now and I can sleep very well at night. <laughs> and I'm grateful that you're still here and I that am. you shared that. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get on to your failures, I want to ask you something about your physical appearance because yeah. you've made a number of comments already in Have this I? interview. I don't even realise. Doing yourself down. And I think that's my mechanism, though. I think that's that's always been me. You know, I was this little ginger kid from Stepney Green that I was never happy with how I looked. And even now, I think I've come to terms with the fact of I will always never be happy with the way I look, which is a really, really strange thing to say mm -hmm. because I'm all right with that. Actually, it took me a long while to realise, no, that's all right that you know you're never going to be happy with the way you look. You know, people will look at me and go, oh, he's had his teeth done. And then there's certain pictures of me that if it's like a pap shot and taken in a funny light on a funny stage, my teeth like look like they come around the corner before me. Then you meet me in real life. And nine times out of ten, everyone always goes, oh, my God, you're really tall. And your teeth look really normal. Like, I said that about you being tall, but I didn't say about you. No, no, but they go, like, but <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. Like, they're the yeah. two things that people say when they meet me. They're like, oh my God, you're well tall. I'm like, God, your teeth are lovely in real life. Like, they're really normal. But, you know, everything's heightened in certain situations. But I've started, weirdly, quite recently, to sort of lessen my look. So there's that sort of signature Ryland look, the jet black hair, the jet black beard, the white teeth, the tan, the this. And sort of over the past few months... In my head, I call it laziness, but actually it's sort of purposeful laziness. Mm. I'm sort of getting a little bit softer now because I'm getting more comfortable with the fact of I'm not ever going to achieve this image of perfect in my head. Yes. So let's just do what you do. Just don't do it as hard. So do you recognise now, because I can relate to this so much, and I've just been on holiday and lucky enough to go on holiday, luckily. Lovely. And when I'm in a bikini, I am so critical of myself. I am that same person. I won't take my top off on a beach. Wow. And even throughout my marriage, I wouldn't take a top off on a beach if there was other people there. I know this sounds really, really strange, but like, I mean, I've not got a bad body. No, you've got an amazing but body. I just wouldn't do it. 
And I don't know why. It's like I've got this thing. But I could sit here and say the same about you. This is turning into a right loving, by the way, but I love it. Like, you are gorgeous. Like, you're such a stunning woman. So for me to hear you say, I feel conscious in a bikini, sounds crazy. But I'm the biggest hypocrite. Yeah. Because if I sit here and say I won't take my top off on a beach, I'm not going to accept you saying you sound crazy. The single thing that has helped me a bit in this area, which I want to share with you, is knowing and clearly you're a very self-aware person so I now know that if I'm feeling stressed or tired or anxious and if I'm on holiday then all of that anxiety and stress is hopefully leaving my body but it's in the process of leaving it where I go to with my self-criticism is physical appearance so almost knowing that it's It's not a it's a symptom yeah rather than actually true I think it's defense as well I don't know why but I feel like if I criticize my body or criticize my look or I'm self-deprecating I feel like I've already put the armor up to stop anyone else doing it or even if they do do it it's like well I've already said it yes it's almost like a ricochet of a bullet yeah I don't know why maybe that's just been built into me over the years and that started happening very quickly when I got into the public eye you know when I was on X Factor I put up with a lot of shit you like, had death threats you needed yeah, 24 like really, really security. Bad. I needed yeah. security all right it was it was really really bad and at that point, there was a point where it was like, do I just stop? Because this ain't worth it. But there was that voice in my head going, this is what you've worked for. This is worth it. You know what you can get from this if you play this game right. If you play this game right. And that's why I carried on. Everyone talks about tough skin, thick skin. I mean, it's not your skin that's got to be tough. It's your head. Mm. It's thick brain you need. <laughs> it sounds stupid, but it is. It's not thick skin you know people aren't throwing stones they're throwing insults and insults go into the head they don't go onto the the body and I think that's what I did I sort of developed this sort of side of my brain that sits there and goes I'm ready for anything you've got to say go on take the piss out my teeth take the piss out of my singing voice take the piss out of me being a presenter take the piss out of the way I talk take the piss out of the way I look I'm ready for it because anything you say I've already said it about myself and I'll continue to say it And I think it is that defence. And I'd much rather live in a world where, even just in my own head, I can think that. And I do genuinely believe what I say. Do I love the way I look? No. Do I like my body? No. Am I ever going to get there? No. I've done the gym. I've had the body. And I'm like, yeah, this is great, but I want more. I know who I am. I said it at the beginning of this chat. I always wanted more. And I'll always want more. And once I've got to that point in my head where I'm aware doesn't matter wherever you end up you're always going to want more then I get that so I'm never going to find that plateau we're living in an era of information overload we've more knowledge than ever before but what do we do with it all notion is a place where any team can write plan organize and rediscover the joy of play it's a workspace designed not just for making progress but for getting inspired notion is the ai powered workspace where the everyday takes care of itself meetings have summaries Docs find themselves and every question has an answer because Notion AI turns knowledge into action. And I know that myself because I once asked it to write an introduction for a How to Fail episode. And I have to say, it was so helpful and so convincing. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com forward slash fail. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com forward slash fail fail and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. 
notion.com forward slash fail. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Let's go on to your first failure, which actually is so interesting that you talk about wanting more because this is something that you haven't achieved. Your failure to represent the UK at Eurovision, (laughs) even though you're an official host. I know, true. I mean, this one is a bit of a fun one, but yeah, I mean, growing up, I always used to think, God, can you imagine performing at Eurovision? And this is when people didn't find Eurovision cool, by the way. Oh, hello, welcome. You're all on the bandwagon now. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like a Eurovision OG. What, like, what, where were you when Gemini got Neil Poir? Thank you. But yeah, I mean, I've always thought, oh, I'd love to be on that stage. But I've sort of got to live out that fantasy. So I host the semi-finals. Me and Scott commentate that every year, Scott Mills. And um, so Scott's like my Eurovision husband. So we've done that for a fair few years now and we're lucky enough that we get to go to the Eurovision and work there and meet everyone. And my outfit choices sometimes are a little bit leery when I'm at Eurovision because if you can't do it at Eurovision, when are you going to do it? And the joke with me and Scott is, so say like last year we were in Turin in Italy, people would be coming up to me going, good luck. And I'd be like, oh, thank you. <laughs> or people would go, you were so great. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I really enjoy it. <laughs> like, and I just play along with it. People just think I'm an act. They always think I'm a contestant. Even though the people that actually know me know I'm one of the hosts, people just think I'm a contestant. So I sort of live out my Eurovision fantasy every year because I just make people believe I'm a contestant from like Azerbaijan or something. And I love it. And I let them believe it. Scott finds it hilarious. Do you have a favourite Eurovision act of all time? Oh. And is it Love City Groove? <laughs> that's a tune. That's a tune. <laughs> I have my favourite probably song for many a reason is weirdly enough a woman who's back in the contest this year for Sweden, Lorene, which was Euphoria back in 2012. It won the contest. I say that that's my favourite song because it led me on to her album and her album Heal is my favourite album of all time. And I, I'm lucky enough to know Lorene quite well and she knows this, but like that album basically was my divorce. <laughs> like, I couldn't listen to music, I couldn't watch TV, I couldn't do none of that for a long time. And both of those things are my jobs, that was worrying me. But no, that album, I mean, if you ever get the chance to listen to it, go and listen to it, because just the words, the production, her voice, everything about that album, to me, just gets it. So I would say that's my favourite song, because as much as I love that song, it then moved me on to her other work. Well, that's a much more profound answer than I was yeah. expecting. <laughs> but cool. also, yeah, yeah, but, you know, back to me, it's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's, uh, the thing is, I'm a bit of a Eurovision geek, so we've got some really favourite songs over the years. I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but why do you think Eurovision is so great and people love it so much? I love to say this because from being a fan on the outside to being now a fan on the inside... Eurovision to me, especially being on the inside and having the luxury to be at it, for that one week of the year, me and Scott were talking about this yesterday and he said a really lovely term. He said, for that one week, there's no bad news. There's no bad news. And that's exactly how it feels. It is that bubble, whatever city you're in for that one week or two weeks, where all that matters is Eurovision. Your biggest worry is who's going to qualify? Like, 
and they're not big deals when you think about it in the grand scheme of life. But imagine living in a world where that is the biggest deal and that's the world you live in. It's like one big family coming together from all over the world. And it really does feel like that because working on it every year, you'll bump into people and be like, oh my God, look, there's Eves from the Swiss delegation. How are you, mate? Like, and you'll have a drink. And, but you only see them once a year. And it is that once a year family. And it doesn't matter who you are where you come from, what money you've got in the bank, what clothes are on your back, what colour your skin is, what sexuality you are, none of it matters. Everyone's there for the same reason and everyone's on a level playing field. You know, and then that goes the same for the contestants. We have contestants that are superstars, superstars from their countries, got millions of followers, up against Jean from Ireland, who's got one follower and never even sung publicly before but they're on a level playing ground. They all get treated the same. And that's why I love it. It's just sort of parity across the board at Eurovision. And I love it. Why is there not 11 points? I mean, I just think people like the word dos. Yeah, dos. Yeah, and it's like, quick, get to 12. (laughs) I I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is. Okay. Let's get on to your second failure, which is your failure to fit in at school. And I imagine that there's a lot that ties into how we started this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I... Weirdly enough, I mean, that's quite a vague statement because in primary school, don't get me wrong, I had a lovely time. I had a really, really great time at primary school. But I had these times where I didn't feel like I fit in. And that was because I think I was trying to work out who I was and what these thoughts that maybe I was having meant. Because, you know, when you're nine, ten years old, back then, I don't know about nine, ten year olds now, but back then I didn't know what the word gay meant. I didn't know what that meant. But what I would be doing, I was quite stereotypical. So in the playground, the boys would be playing football and I'd be with the girls doing bewitched routines in S Club 7 by the church and performing for the dinner ladies. Like, all of these things. And as much as I wasn't made to feel like I didn't fit in, I think that was a pressure I was putting on myself. Like, why am I here? Why am I here and not on that side of the fence with the boys playing football? And that sort of progressed. And I remember there was this one time, it was this boy from school's birthday and sort of that, that thing, you invited the whole class and we all went. But he had friends from not our school. And me and the girls are sort of outside doing this routine and whatever while these... Are, and I remember his friends that didn't go to school were like taking the piss out of me, which I can understand. But I'd been in this sort of bubble of like, well, they all know what I'm like. And then all of a sudden you're out in the what you feel is the big bad world with people from another school. They're like eight. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it's just, I remember that. It's something that I banked and I thought maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I should be with the boys. So it's sort of not a case of not fitting in and being ostracised and at the edge of the class. More that internal feeling of, why am I doing this? What does this mean? And, you know, you'd have the odd person say something to you and you think, what does that mean? What does gay mean? What does this mean? And then when I moved to secondary school, again, I was very lucky to go to a really good secondary school. And I was a little bit targeted in the early years by some of the older boys. And then it got to sort of the age of 14, 15, and I was quite happy with who I was and knew who I was. And was like, fuck you. And that's when, I'll never forget someone come up to me and tried to take the piss out of me, he was two years older. We had all these mates with him taking the mick. And I just went, do you want a fucking blowjob or something? Because you're obsessed. And his face just dropped and his mate sort of took the piss out of him. And then I was like, okay, 
And then he never said anything to me since. And it was sort of just like owning who I was. I wasn't ashamed of who I was. But yeah, I think taking that ownership meant a lot to me. There's a lot that I want to come back to on that, but I wonder what your thoughts are on the language around quote-unquote coming out. Mm. Because... I feel that that often implies there's something that you're coming out from, that there's been this sort of darkness that you need to emerge from. And it can yeah. be, it can imply something really negative, but it sounds from what you're saying, you always knew yourself, you just didn't have the language to express it. I totally understand what you're saying. And I'm really grateful for you saying that because, I mean, coming out as the term, don't offend me in the slightest. Like, and I get why it's called coming out because it's like, I'm telling the world who I am. I'm hoping in 10, 15 years' time, no one uses the words coming out because whether you're gay, straight, bi, want to have sex with vegetables, good luck to you. Like, it shouldn't be an issue. The weird thing is, I always say this, like when anyone comes out in the media that maybe has been working in the media for, for some time and has never spoke about their sexuality or whatever and then all of a sudden decides to for their own reasons, great, well done. And they get a lot of praise and people are like, yay. I remember having this conversation with a couple of other people in the industry that are also gay. And it was sort of like a passing jokey comment, but it was like, oh, we didn't get this fanfare. Like, because we've always just been who we are. I've never publicly come out. I've just been on TV. I married a man, but I've never said, guys, the same, I've got to tell you all. Yes. On X Factor, thank God to tell you, I'm gay. Like, I've never done the coming out video. I've just been myself. And people either presumed or I've said something somewhere and, you know, that's that. So for me, I sit there and go, if someone wants to tell the world their gender, sexual preference, well, great. I'm here to support everyone. If someone doesn't and they want to keep it hidden, again, great it's your personal life I don't care who you're sleeping with whatever but for me I came out to my mum but everyone else just knew did your mum know when you well that I mean it's quite a funny story because I got my friend's mum to tell her because I bottled it and I heard her on in the background on the phone going no Linda no and I ran away because I thought my mum's gonna disown me and what my friend's mum actually said, look, he's got something to tell you. And she went, oh, don't tell me he's got a girl pregnant. So, <laughs> so I, mean, I mean, I don't know if she knew, but I mean, she wasn't deaf and blind. But for some reason, she thought I might have got a girl pregnant. But yeah. I love your mum. She's on, great. On God She's a nightmare, so, but I love okay. her. Okay. <laughs> and growing up, she was a single mother. You have an older brother who you mentioned. Yeah, Jamie, the yeah. driver. He's, a, he's quite a bit older Yeah, he's 14 he? years yeah. older than me. So he was like a dad figure. My okay. Yeah. Did you ever feel the lack of a dad? And do you think that's part of your need for validation? Do you know what? No. Genuinely hand on heart, didn't. The only times I ever felt odd about it was if when I was younger, you'd have a supply teacher that don't know the kids, obviously. Let's say you did something wrong or you did something good or they were asking you to stand up in class and say something. And if they just said a passing were like, what do your mum and dad do? Mm. I was like, well, I haven't got a dad. They're the only times where I'd be like, oh, it's weird. But no, like now a lot of the public know who my mum is, if they've seen her or listened to her on my radio show. She's definitely strong enough to be a mum and a dad. And my nan lived with us as well because my mum wasn't well a lot of the time. So I sort of had two mums and then my brother is a father figure. So where my brother was so much more older than me, he was the one that would sort of buy me my first computer 
or things like that, things you just don't forget as a kid. So I never felt the lack of a father figure because I almost had three parents. I mean, it's better than none, isn't it? Yes. At that age. Yeah. So, yeah. So there wasn't that need to prove yourself, to show yourself to your dad? Absolutely not. Okay. No. I've, I've ticked that cod psychology box. Yeah, there's Done. The yeah, like, I really wish... I mean, look, I'm sure if you pick through my brain and certain traits or this and you cross-reference it with people that didn't grow up with a man in the house and all of this, I'm sure we can sit there and find something that's like, oh, maybe that is because of a lack of a dad. Like, I've always sat there and thought nature and nurture yes. when it comes down to my sexuality. And, you know, growing up in a household with two females, did that make me gay? I don't know. Like... But I always do think that. But I genuinely think I could have grown up in a household with the craze and still like Willie. So, yeah. you know, like I genuinely believe that people are who they are. I feel like nurture definitely plays its part in people's character and their characteristics and yeah. how they behave. But I do genuinely feel that people were meant to be who they are. I don't know. That might just be like a lovey-dovey thing to say. No, but. I totally agree with you. And that idea of nurture being integral, that mindset that you mentioned earlier of that idea that if you wanted something, you'd had to put in the hours and you could achieve it. I'll get it. That's pure nurture. And yeah. that's clearly something that you inherited from your mum, your gran, your older brother. Absolutely. Like, you, you want something, you go and work yeah. for it and you go and get it. And even now, I'm in a very luxury, grateful position where I could be places and they'll go, you ain't got to pay for this. Or you can have this. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes you sit there and go, thanks. That's lovely. Yeah. Really appreciate it. But I'll never forget after X Factor, it was about six months after, and I, all I wanted to do, to me, always wanted a Louis Vuitton suitcase. Don't know why. It's the stereotype. Rah, rah, rah. Oh, you've made it. And I remember going to the shop with my old term manager and walking in there and going, I want to buy that. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. We'll take you upstairs to the Louis Vuitton apartment. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And literally, they were like, we've spoke to our press team, they're happy to give this to you. And I just broke down and was like, no, I want to pay for it. I want to pay for it. Let me buy this for myself. Like, that sounds so ridiculous, no. because if they want to send me one now, I'll take it. But, but <laughs> You've like, made the point now. Yeah, yeah, lose on. <laughs> but literally, like, for my own validation, yes. that's when I knew I, oh, I'd done well. Yes. To be able to have the money to buy that. Like, and that's when I was like, right, I want to do it. And I did. And to this day, like, I rinse it. Like, it's fraying because I use it that much. But every time I pick up that suitcase, even all these years on, I've been lucky enough to earn some money, build my own house. I've got a car, built my mum a house. But every time I pick that suitcase up, I'm like, you don't know why. Symbolic. Yeah. That time of not fitting in at school, you've been, I think, very generous to the people who, as you say, kind of teased you because actually it was very serious bullying at one point at wasn't one it? point it was yeah at one point it was quite bad you fractured your skull yeah so that was late primary school that was and it wasn't actually kids at school there was this place near our school where everyone went it was like an adventure playground thing not like a playground like a normal one it was like a purpose-built like rope swings and you'd have staff there like it was one of those sort of children's places and yeah, just one day, this group of kids, I was just on the swing, just grabbed me, threw me down on the floor and kicked me in the head. And it fractured my skull. And the next thing I know, I'm in an ambulance. And I remember going past my house, seeing my house through the window and was like, 
What? It's weird because I was young and I don't really remember that much, but I remember those snippets and I remember being in the ambulance and seeing my house and being like, that's my house. And they're like, I lay down and I'm like, no. and then I'm crying because I'm scared. I'm like, what's going on? Like my parents, you know, like all of this, like what's going on? And yeah, yeah, it fractured my skull. And yeah, it just turned out these kids had seen me playing with the girls and didn't like it. And that was it. I didn't even know them. But they were just other kids that went there. So yeah, so that was sort of the final straw for my mum, actually. That's when she went, we're leaving, we're moving. Don't want to be here no more. And that's when we moved out. We were the last sort of ones of our family to move out to Essex. We all come from East London. And yeah, that was the final straw for my mum. She just went, no, we're going. Do you think there's something about having Rylan and Ross that dates from that moment where it's safer psychologically for you to keep your truest of truest self protected? You couldn't be more right. That's exactly what I do. And yeah, it probably does come from events of my life. When I went on X, like I said earlier, you have a decision to make. Do you take this and hope to get something or do you stop and disappear and get nothing? And that's when the brain split into two. And I went, right, this is a Ryland night. Go on, give it to me, give it to me. And people could throw stuff at me and I'll just bat it away and not take it too hard. I'll take it to the left side of my brain. Mm -hmm. And then, right, come then, let's go home now, Ross. Someone says something to me there, crippling. And that, again, I think without going into too much detail, plays back to the end of my marriage with why I got so ill, with what was being said to Ross and how Ross was being treated and how Ross was taking responsibility for this and Ross had to deal with this and Ross had to... And now, because of that and because of the way I handle Rylan, there's a middle section of my brain now where Ross and Rylan can come together like now. This is very much the two boys. Sounds great, though. But it is where I will speak to you as Ross whilst being Rylan Mm. and give you Rylan but also speak as Ross. Like, it sounds like I'm a split personality. I'm very much not. It's just the way my brain deals with it. But from then, the breakdown of my marriage, that was when I was like, you need to merge now because Ross can't take this battering. Ross definitely can't take this battering. I'm a walkover. Like, I would give anyone anything. Have it, not a problem. And even if it puts me at my, like, at my detriment, I will give anyone the world. But actually, it's made me harder to sit there and go... Be a bit more Ryland. No, I'm going to get it. I want this and I'm going to get it. And now I have got that midsection Good. where, especially at work, yeah. especially at work now, I'm making choices and making decisions that Ross would never have made and Ryland also wouldn't have made. But now they know each other. Yes. They're talking and they're going, does this make you happy? Do you want to do this? Yes. Well, yeah, but think about this. Right, right. And that's why I'm making the decisions I'm making. There's so much I can relate to in what you're saying. I'm so glad to hear about the middle part of your brain. Yeah, I'm glad I've made it as well. (laughs) Because it sounds like you're finally able to say no when you feel no, rather than trying to meet someone else's demands and please the other person. And my business. Yes. Because otherwise, you open yourself up to so many toxic relationships, not just personal. Absolutely. You couldn't be more spot on. You couldn't be more spot on. You know, there's, there's situations I've been in before where I now, like you say, have that middle part of my brain that's the two names combined that sits there and go, what the fuck were you doing? Are you ill? Why did you let that happen? Why did you get spoken to like that? Why did you get treated like that? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let yourself get put through this in personal and in business? Like, why did you do this? Mm -hmm. 
And that's the voice that's in me now going forward. Okay, is this right for me? No. And then that middle part voice is going, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. This reminds me of, I know what a red flag is now. Yeah. I didn't. You could have held up a red flag, a white flag, a green flag, and a blue flag. I wouldn't know what one was red. Literally in my face. Mm-hmm. Now I can see red from a mile off. What kind of impact has that had on your friendships? Because sometimes when you start respecting your own boundaries, you lose friends. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I lost friends because I lost a lot of friends a long time ago through personal reasons. And that's quite gutting because at the time I couldn't see that happening to me. When you say that, sorry, does that, is that when you became famous Uh, or it was a different thing? uh, Yes, but sort of more... Years on, I, my friendship circle changed to sort of another person's friendship circle, if you like. Got and it. that become my circle. Yes. And as lovely as that was, I didn't realise that that wasn't my circle. I was just part mm-hmm. of that circle. And then all of a sudden that circle's not there. And you're like, oh, my man. And so many things come into play in your head. It's like, oh, my God, like my whole life is this. My whole life is skewed down this walkway rather than these walkways like and you sort of learn but actually what you realize is that the friends that maybe you weren't as close to that were friends still there yeah and then you grab and dig your nails in as hard as you can and hold on to them and for me we're talking one hand like we are talking one hand I don't need any more than one hand and I don't want any more than one hand. I've got a load of mates Loads of mates. I'm everyone's friend. But real, real friends. Close. Very close. The ones who always knew you, even before you knew yourself. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And the ones that could see everything from the outside, but were too worried to say anything to you. Yeah. But now we'll say, look, we know. And you go, okay, great. I know I'm not going mad. Your final failure. There's no easy seamless link here. Because your, your final <laughs> Come on, failure. Come on, I want to hear this link. <laughs> is your failure to live down the X Factor Judges House video. Uh, every year. You watch it every year, don't you? You, yeah. re, you make a point of re-watching it. Yeah, normally Why? every August. Yeah. Why? Why August? So that's when it physically was in real life in Dubai when we filmed Judges Houses. And the reason I make myself watch it every... I mean, everyone always brings it up to me. I'll go on a show and they'll probably play the clip for a laugh. But for me, I watch it once a year, every single year, on my own, maybe a glass of wine, and I'll go, right, it's that time of the year. It's like Christmas. And I'll press play and I'll watch it all play out. And then at the end of it, I'll press the button, shut the laptop, carry on with my night. Everyone else goes, why'd you do that? And I go, because... When I first got here and saw you today, I went, oh, I'm so knackered. I've literally, I've been to Glasgow, I've been to Liverpool, I've, I've like slept for two hours, and then I'm up this morning, everyone's bringing me, and I've got to sort this out, got to that. And it gets hard, like, and you think, God, I've got, you know, give me a day off. But the reason I watch that is because I sit there and go, stop fucking moaning, because look what it meant to you to know this is all about to happen, potentially. For anyone who hasn't seen that video, <gasps> how, how would you describe what happens in it? Okay, so from a public perception, I get told I'm going through to the live shows of X Factor by, by Nicole, Nicole Scherzinger yeah. of Pussycat Dolls fame. I then break down in tears for what seems like an eternity. I'm basically crying into a crotch. I wipe my face on a, on a beautiful be cushion. First. No, probably not, all the last. 
and this goes on and it looks like the most biggest overreaction in the world, which it was. In real life, I was up drinking till seven in the morning with lovely Caroline Flack in the swimming pool. I slept for an hour, woke up, was told it's time for the results, put a full face of makeup on, it was 50 degrees, that slid off. I had the worst hangover. And when I saw Caroline on the way in to get the result, I sort of looked at her and went, I've got through. And she sort of shook her head and went, no. And I was like, great, at least I know, play it up. And be like, oh, I've had a lovely time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And then I was told that I was going through. It was like someone hit me around the face with a baseball bat. And then I just completely lost it. The hangover, the vodka tears, (laughs) getting through, thinking my life's about to change, 50 degrees, the headache, everything just hit me in one go. I don't know how I weren't sick on it. And when you look at that video now, every August, what do you think of that young Rylan? I would wish I could go back and say to him, stop crying for a start, you idiot, and enjoy it all. But this next couple of weeks before that goes out on TV, because that was the moment that was the sort of overnight Mm. you're in. Like I can look back at the night I got famous, if you like. This next couple of weeks where no one knows, go out, get fucked, do what you want with anyone, take everything, spend the money, go to this place, roll around Leicester Square on the floor at four in the morning, do all of these things. Because in a couple of weeks, they're going to be on you. They're going to be on you. That's what I tell him. So you had no idea. No. Back you knew then, your role, X-Factor didn't you? was big. Yeah. X-Factor was big. And I knew people are going to be interested in us, but, you know, it, it, this might not change. At best, I thought, I'm going to get six months out of this where I'll do gigs, perform in some clubs, blah, 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 and probably about 10, 20 grand. That'll buy me a new car, pay my credit cards off, and then you're all right, then you can go and get a job somewhere. That's what I thought. Hmm. That is what I thought. But in me, the Ryland side of my brain was going, no, if you play this game right, you could be on How to Fail with Elizabeth Dane. Oh, stop. (laughs) That's so such an end to that sentence. Um, This is so interesting because I'm obsessed with reality television. Because you are really a man that reality TV shaped. Yeah, Yeah, you grew up watching it and then you're a product of it. Yeah. And I really want to talk to you about the experience of filming X Factor. Yeah. And just what that was like. Horrendous. Was it? Yeah, genuinely, it was hard. Like, now, I could sit there and go, oh, like, there was a few things where I'd sit there and go, well, that shouldn't have really happened, as in getting us in places at times or being left alone in places at times. Now, I would not put up with certain things. And that's not to sit there and say, because I know there's all this talk about X Factor back in the day and stuff like that. I'm not talking about all of that. I'm just saying from someone who now works in the industry, if that was my show and I was organising timings and stuff like this, I wouldn't have got contestants on a Sunday morning to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning when they're not on TV until 7pm that night, Mm -hmm. when they've had no sleep. Like, I wouldn't be doing that. And there's no fucking way I would do that now as a contestant. (laughs) It's weird because I remember I went to do the... Celebrity Apprentice a couple of years back for Comic Relief. And even then, I almost was getting like PTSD from X Factor, which was really weird because I'd go, guys, I'm just going to go to the toilet. And they're like, oh, no, 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 not yet. You can't go to the toilet yet because we've got to film this. I've not been told for the last seven years you can't go for a piss. Yes. And then I thought, have I changed? As in like, you don't tell me when I go to the toilet. And then I thought, yeah, I have actually. And I'm going to piss. <laughs> no, so it was like little things like that. It was like, oh, you know, you can't go to the toilet yet because we've got to film this. 
then you'd be sat there for an hour because something's being rehearsed. But you did it because you're not in a position not to. And you're grateful and you're also constantly being told to be grateful. Absolutely, but I genuinely am grateful. Yes. I genuinely am grateful. Like everyone always says, X Factor and Celebrity Big Brother, you know, they're the two shows that made you rah, 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 rah. And I would always sit there and go, X Factor gave me that platform and I can never, ever be more grateful for that. Celebrity Big Brother being in there and winning it was the platform that showed people who I was. Yeah. So the two of them together worked. It's also a crash course in having to deal with the opinions of people yeah. and who they, don't know you. I mean, there's a lot of opinions. Even people that were very, 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 ended up being very, very close to me in my personal life hated me on X Factor. Hated me. Slated me. That I found out. But, <laughs> but like, you're like, That's oh. mind-blowing. Yeah. And then, that been, yeah. and then you sit there now and go, why was that person even in my life then? But yeah. Like, but particularly for you as well, because we talked so much about this split identity in the middle, like being slated for one part of you by someone close to you. I can't even imagine. It's really weird. It's really, really weird. Like, look, for me personally, my biggest issue that I've got now in my life, which isn't a massive issue. I know in the times that we're living in, there's bigger issues. But the biggest issue for me is now I've been single for two years. And of course, I'd love to meet someone. You know, I want the the dream of the husband, the kids potentially one day. I'd love to have children. But for me, dating (laughs) is the worst thing in the world because... From experience, you can date someone for a long time who you really, really like, and then it gets to the point where they're like, this is too much, I don't like Rylan. Or, not that they don't like Rylan, they just don't like what comes with Rylan. Or you get go on a date with someone for a long time who you really, really like, and you realise they're not interested in Ross, but they're obsessed with Rylan. Yes. <laughs> and want what Rylan's got. And yeah. it's like, where's the one in the middle? Like the middle part of my brain, yeah. I need to find that middle man if that makes sense. I think you need someone older. Fine. Potentially of a different nationality. I have said for so long, I need an Italian, Swedish, Spanish, I don't care who it is. Completely. Just someone who hasn't got a clue. I need to, I know, I want to meet someone the old fashioned way. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, nice to meet you. I've lied. I went to Barcelona last year on my own. And for an entire night, this group of people thought my name was Josh and I was a lawyer. And it was fucking great. It was amazing. Until right at the end of the night, someone come up and went, oh my God, Rylan, grab a photo. And they were like, what is this? I don't know. I was like, I don't know. Top of like blew my cover. Because I think you also need to be with someone who isn't threatened by you, who already knows themselves as yeah, da- professionally nothing, successful in a different way. There is nothing threatening. And that is such a big thing for me now. Mm. I don't care whether you earn one pound a year or a million pound a year. I don't care whether you are run the most successful company in the world or you literally are signing on. I don't care, right? I'm all about the person. If you can make me laugh, you're decent. I don't care what they look like. Hand on heart, genuinely. My type, gone. My type don't work for me, clearly. I want just someone nice, right? For me, I just try to explain to people, like, there is nothing to be intimidated of about my job. The only difference is, is that people know what I do for a job. And sometimes they want to come say hello. That's it. That is literally it. But some people either see too much into that and want it or see it as something they don't want to be a part of. What does your mum think of everything that's happened to you? Oh, I mean, that's another book. (laughs) (laughs) What did she think when she was watching X Factor? She, it was hard for her, obviously, listening to people slag off her son and her going, but that's not my son. Like, this is part of this 
thing. You know, he's not this person that they're portraying him out to be. And I wasn't. And people then saw that in Celebrity Big Brother. But I think for me personally, that was the hardest decisions and points was during early Exeter when I knew what my mum was hearing and having to go through. Those were the only times I had wobbles where I was like, maybe I should stop. Maybe I should stop. But I'm glad I didn't. And she is as well. She got a fucking ass out. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I look back, when I was doing research for this interview, I was like, Gary Barlow was so mm. mean to you. And I know that you're, you've got a truce now and you're friends again. Yeah, I'm fine with Gary. But yeah, no, I mean, genuinely rude. So the weirdest thing was with Gary, you know, week one, when I was in the bottom two of those live shows, I mean, I felt like he hated me. He walked off when I got saved. And I hated him. So I was like, you bastard, I can't believe you just walked off. You made me look like a prick. But actually, as the weeks went on, I thought I'd play him at his own game. Mm. I'll never forget, it was the week I left X Factor, week eight it was. The security guard came up to me and went, Gary wants to see you. And I went, well, Gary can wait, because I'm having a drink. And he just laughed. But everyone knew, everyone, I knew everyone <laughs> yes. at this point. Anyway, so after I'd had a drink of whatever, I then went to his dressing room and he shook my hand. He went, you're all right? I went, yeah, I'm all right. You've, you've been great. That's why I gave him a hug, sort of, when I was performing my last song. I went, thanks for everything. He went, no, thank you for everything. And then I went, we had a laugh, didn't we? He went, yeah. And it, that was the, the moment when I was like, we don't need to be best friends, but we were both making a TV show yes. at the end of the day. And then, yeah, lo and behold, a few years later, I was hosting an awards and I bumped into him again. And he was just like, God, you've done well, you know? <laughs> he was like, I didn't think you are going to do this well. And it was just really, really nice to see him. And he actually said to me, he was like, I was trying to um, work out the date you were getting married because I was going to, it was when he was turning up at people's weddings, like not telling her, he was going to turn up and sing. I went, oh, gee, I wouldn't have done that. Me brother weren't a fan at the time. <laughs> I had to stop my brother from like attacking him one week at X Factor. But no, I've got no problem with Gary Barlow. He's actually a really, really lovely man. Actually looking back... He played quite an integral part, I think, of me staying all them weeks. Rylan, Ross, <laughs> I've loved every second of this conversation. Thank I, you so I much for having me. It's been a total delight. I could go on for hours. Before we go, because we've been talking a lot about kind of self-knowledge and who we are and how we find ourselves, how today would you describe yourself to someone who doesn't know you? How would you describe who you are? I would say I am a 34-year-old man who's got a great job, looks after himself and everyone around him and has been through some shit, but is very content with who he is, is very happy with who he is and is looking to share it all again. That's what I'd say. Ryan Clark, thank you so much for coming on How To Fail. Thank you, babe. If you enjoyed this episode of How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, I would so appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Apparently, it helps other people know that we exist. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.